It is the 200 level episode 154, Run It Back, which is what it appears the Alumni football program will be doing next year for the most part. Brandon Peters is coming back. Rodarian Lowe, Doug Kramer, Alex Palchuski coming back. Jake Hansen, not coming back. Can't blame him. Kendrick Green, same thing. Can't blame him either. Kudos to those guys. They deserve a shot at the NFL. I think they'll find spots and stick with teams at least for a few years. So they deserve to make that jump. But for the guys that you have coming back, for Brett Bieleman now as your head coach and now an offensive coordinator and offensive line coach, the pieces are falling into place here. And it feels like next year is not going to be like typical year ones that we've seen here at Illinois. Go back to the year one of Aron Turner. 0-11, inheriting a total mess from Lou Tepper. That was a full-on rebuild. Ron Zook, same thing. You kept Turner way too long. He had to build it up from the ground up. And then you go to, let's see, after Zook, Beckman probably didn't have to rebuild it, but he was so bad in year one, that's exactly what happened. And then sort of the same thing with Levy Smith, where year one was a mess. Probably didn't have to be that bad, but it set you back for another year or two. So what would be great here is to go completely against the grain of Illinois football history and have a somewhat successful year one. And you don't even need to make a bowl game to do that, I don't think. Even though it is possible, if you look at this schedule, and let me read this to you real quick. I know this is silly to do Dare to Dream 2021 edition, but here we go. Beginning the season against Nebraska in Dublin, we'll see if that happens or not. But Nebraska, it'd be a home game even if you don't go all the way to Ireland. University of Texas, San Antonio, UTSA at Virginia. That one's interesting, even though I don't know how good they're going to be next year. Maryland at home at Purdue, Charlotte at home. That is your opening six game stretch. Pretty winnable at Penn State, Wisconsin at home, Rutgers at home at Minnesota at Iowa Northwestern. The front end winnable, the back end a little bit scary. But you do have an opportunity, if you bring enough of these guys back, to not have to hit the reset button entirely. And that is a far cry from what we're used to, and I welcome it. Even if I'm not, let's say, over the moon that Brandon Peters is going to be back, I understand that in terms of depth, you could do far worse than that. We'll get into the Brandon Peters conversation in a little bit. We'll also talk about the offensive coordinator and the offensive line coach, neither of whom were on a lot of people's radars, but the more I read about it, the more it makes sense. Now, with that huge salary pool for assistance. I think, myself included, we were anticipating a couple splash hires. And that's not to say it won't happen on the defensive side of the ball, but you haven't had that yet. So if you read the names Tony Peterson and Bart Miller and you don't get over the moon excited for it, I'm in the same boat. I don't know a lot about these guys. You got to read about them. And the first place to start is the press release from the U of I. And of course, That's going to make it sound maybe better than what you're getting. But the more you read, especially about Peterson, the more uh, confident I am, I guess, that you're getting someone that at least knows what they're doing and kind of a journeyman. I think Jeremy used the word eclectic to describe him as a play caller and his history as an offensive coordinator. And that is an apt term to use when you consider that he oversaw great running offenses with Minnesota. Back in the early 2000s, you would remember Marion Barber, and there was one other stud. He had an offense at Minnesota that had 2,000-yard rushers. I remember one game in particular in 2003, I think, or 2004 at Memorial Stadium where Minnesota ran for like 350 yards. Now, that Illinois defense was terrible, but that Minnesota offense was pretty damn good. And that was kind of peak Glenn Mason winning seven, eight games a year with always a pretty good offense to boot. So that was Tony Peterson. Then he kind of goes through this journey of Marshall, where he was the guy that oversaw Chad Pennington and Byron Leftwich. 
Then he gets to, gosh, there were a couple other stops before Appalachian State last year where they had a great running offense, not a great passing offense, but you do get kind of the best of both worlds. You get an older guy. I think he will be fine. And I think more than that, it fits into the identity of what Bielma is trying to do here. While we may not get the youngest, sexiest staff out there, and that is where Bielema might have been able to attract that talent when he first got to Arkansas, right? Bielema himself has to maybe rebuild some cachet. You are going to get experienced guys that know what they're doing. And that already is a far cry from a lot of what you had on Lovey's staff last year. So again, am I going to jump over the moon and be super rah-rah excited about Tony Peterson and Bart Miller? Not necessarily, but when you read the resumes, you think, okay, this makes sense. And with an experienced roster coming back, you feel like maybe this thing could get rolling immediately or at least look competent. And that's the first thing I'll be looking for with Brett Bielema, turning Illinois into a competent football program. And I think he got competent coaches to help him do that. Now, we got football to talk about. Later on this episode, we got Sean Harrington hopping on. We're going to talk about the Big Ten race, this Illinois team in particular, some of Sean's Illinois teams and how maybe they compare to this team that we're seeing on the court this year. And Sean is excellent. We had him on quite a bit back in 93.5. Always enjoyed talking to him. And maybe this is something that we can do once or twice more in the Big Ten season. He is the one that if you follow him on Twitter, that's at SMHarrington24. Let me double check that. But if you follow him on Twitter, you'll see about every week he will post a video updating the Big Ten standings with this formula that is foolproof. This formula goes like this. Road wins in the Big Ten are plus one. Road losses and home wins are zero. Home losses are minus one. And that formula, if you finish plus four or plus five, you have a pretty good shot at winning a Big Ten title. Illinois is plus one. Have not lost at home, and they got a win on the road against Penn State. Wisconsin last night losing at home to Maryland. I put money on that game and was so happy to lose it, to see that Wisconsin, in my view, the biggest threat to Illinois winning a Big Ten title other than Iowa. Losing a game like that could come back and bite them. I hope it does. So we'll talk with Sean about the Big Ten at large, Illinois, all of that stuff. He's fantastic to talk to, and it will be good to catch up with him. It's been a couple of years, I think. Before we get too far ahead of ourselves, though, I want to remind you the 200 level is brought to you by DP Doe, online at dpdoe.com. For all the best deals and prices, they deliver anywhere in Champaign-Urbana. Use coupon code MIKE for $5 calzone, $6 premium, and construction zones at dpdoe.com. Also, 4th and Kirby online at 4th and Use coupon code 200 level for 10% off your order. Yeah, Christmas has come and went, but you know what? It's still Illinois basketball season. It will be for another three months. Go to 4th and and get your lucky t shirt. I got a rotation. I had to switch it up a little bit after the Baylor and the Rutgers and the Missouri games, but I think I got my 4th and Kirby swag ready for game days now. And I'm ready to win a Big Ten title with the help of my lucky shirt from fourthandkirby.com. Finally, State Farm agent Brian Hansen online at brianismyguy.com. Life, auto, home, business, renters, you name it. Brian and his staff, not only do they have all the great State Farm prices, but they personalize the service. Kara and I can vouch for that when we moved into our new house. It was a seamless process, helped along by Brian and his wonderful staff. That's brianismyguy.com. Alana Inquirer and the Champagne Showers Podcast Network. Partners with the 200 level. I about said the relaunch. We are well beyond that episode 154 when we started with episode 36 last August. Before we get a little bit into football and then Sean Harrington after that, 
Got to remind you that you can rate and review us, especially at Apple Podcasts. That is a huge help, and I love all the feedback that we're getting, even the negative ones. We'll bring it. We'll take it. We need some humble pie every now and then. But whether it's a five-star, one-star review, it helps us get found by other Illini fans when they are looking for the next Illini podcast to add to the rotation. So thank you for your support. As we end this year, it has been a monster couple of months here with basketball starting up, coaching search. We definitely have a new listening base in addition to what we had before. And I'm sure word of mouth was part of that. I, I will occasionally get a tweet saying, hey, just found the podcast. Great. Hopefully more and more people find it. And we really appreciate you making the 200 level part of your Illini sports rotation. There are so many good outlets, written, audio, you name it. And to be a part of that, it's pretty cool, especially as it feels like maybe, maybe both revenue sports may figure something out and hopefully long-term. Now let's start with football. We got Sean coming up to talk plenty of basketball here in a bit, but with this football program, wanted to start with the players that are coming back. You got Verdarian Lowe, Doug Kramer, Alex Palchewski. That alone, in addition to the other guys on that offensive line, you feel pretty good about that position next year. And Brett Bielema harped on offensive line at his press conference. That was a big part of his MO at Wisconsin and Arkansas. He tends to have good offensive lines. And if you look at the Big Ten West and the programs that had the most consistent success, Iowa, Wisconsin, Northwestern, it's all about line play and running the ball. And that sounds so cliche, and it's amazing that Lovey Smith, for all the times he said, we're going to get off the bus running the football. I know he said that more with the Bears than with Illinois, but you would have thought that'd be part of his MO too, and yet there was never really any consistency with that, but there were flashes. So I'm anxious to see this collection of talent on the offensive line with the running backs that you bring bring back, excuse me, and Chase Brown and Mike Epstein. You bring back Brandon Peters. You have Isaiah Williams. Wide receiver position, maybe Hightower can make another jump next year. You got Navarro, you got Washington, you feel good about the tight ends. All in all, your offense has potential. Now, we said that this year, and they were maddeningly inconsistent. And part of that was because of Brandon Peters. So let's start with that. Offensive line, you feel good about. Running backs, yes. Wide receiver, we'll figure it out. Tight ends, very good. Brandon Peters announcing that he came back today was met with a muted reaction by me, but a pretty excited reaction from what seems to be a wide swath of the Illini fan base. Now, the reason that I don't jump for joy at the notion of Brandon Peters being under center next year is that, and this may be unfair because I'm talking intangible qualities now, I look at Isaiah Williams and I realize that the kid is raw, kind of a mess as a passer, right? But there is an it factor to Isaiah Williams. There is a game-breaking ability to what he can do that makes me think, all right, give him an offseason under this new coaching staff let him become the quarterback. Now, he has to get much, much better at passing. I know Isaiah Williams struggled. The, the original Isaiah Williams struggled his freshman and sophomore year, or his freshman year, and even some of his sophomore year, the Rose Bowl year. Keep in mind, Juice got benched a couple games for Eddie McGee. His passing was still suspect, but he was such a good runner, and he had such a strong arm that he could overcome that. Oh, and he had Rashard Mendenhall to boot, so that helps a lot as well. But I do think that Isaiah Williams in an offense that has a good run game already and has some weapons on the outside, which the wide receiver position, that's still a question mark, but tight ends, you feel like he got a safety valve with a guy like Barker and hopefully Luke Ford can emerge as well. Then Isaiah Williams, I think, could find his way into being a pretty good starting quarterback next year. I don't think, and according to the way Brandon Peters was talking today, this is probably the case, I don't think Brandon Peters is going to waltz into this program 
next year and be dubbed the starting quarterback without having to work for it. That's a good thing. It should be a competition because Brandon Peters at times was awful this year. He was so good against Nebraska, but apart from that, and the first half or the first quarter, I should say, of the Iowa game, he was bad. Not good. Definitely not a Heisman candidate. We don't need to rehash that. But So when I see that news today, I think, okay, well, that's fine. You got more depth, and maybe Brandon Peters in his sixth year puts it all together and leads you to seven, eight wins. <laughs> I don't expect it. And I think part of me wanted to sort of move on from that. I, I get a lot of Wes Lunt kind of qualities from uh, Brandon Peters where you see that he's a big guy with a big arm. He looks like a quarterback. But when you need him to make a throw, all too often he doesn't make it. And I'm not talking game-winning throws. I'm talking third and seven slant passes that fall to the receiver's feet. Those kinds of throws. Basic throws where you've been told from the people that cover this team and from the coaching staff, oh man, Brandon Peters is our quarterback. He's fantastic. He is a Heisman candidate. Again, I don't need to rehash that. I'll stop right there. But that's why I'm a little bit weary entering this season again. I felt like maybe the new energy that could be infused by entering training camp with Isaiah Williams, dubbed your starter, and the way that the team seemingly responded to him as the season went on, whenever he was out there, there seemed to be a spark. I don't want that spark to be extinguished because you have a safer option, quote unquote, with Brandon Peters. And it seemed like Lovey and his staff, and Lovey maybe more so than Rod Smith himself, as we saw in the Penn State game, Brandon Peters' lone pass in the first half was to Isaiah Williams, and then Isaiah took over quarterback, which to me was kind of a slap in the face. It was this symbolic, I didn't want Brandon as my guy, Isaiah, you'll actually receive a pass from him and then take over the reins. That, that to me was, whoa. Uh, I just remember thinking as I watched that, Rod Smith is making no, <laughs> no ambiguity about how he feels about this whole quarterback situation. And Brett Bielema, we're going to find out pretty quickly, I think, is he like Lovey in that he will go with the safer option, the one that is less prone to turnovers, perhaps? The guy that, yes, of course, he can make a few more throws than Isaiah Williams, but maybe doesn't have that game-breaking ability. We'll find out early on if that's the case. And if so, that may be more of an indictment on Isaiah Williams, not progressing with another year, working under this staff in the spring into next summer. That might be more an indictment of him than it is this feel-good story about Brandon Peters putting everything together. But it does appear like we will have a messy quarterback situation next year. Not to say that Isaiah Williams wouldn't have had some messiness without Brandon Peters in the roster. Maybe he turns out to be a really bad passer. He just doesn't improve at all. And then what do you got? Karan Taylor, Deuce Span. Okay, fine. All of them athletic, but none of them guys that you can really count on. So this is the both sides argument here. On one hand, you have more depth and you have a proven veteran quarterback. And I say proven and that you kind of know what you get with Brandon Peters. But on the other hand, I would just argue that I don't think what you get from him is all that great. And one game or two each year, you're going to think, wow, this guy is awesome. But all too often, you're going to say, yeah, he's fine. And for us to have, I say us, <laughs> Illinois football to have the kind of season that we would like them to have in year one under Brett Bielema, I don't know if that's the guy that gives you the best chance. But I also get the sense that if Brandon Peters is coming back, Brett Bielema gave the indication that, yes, he wanted him back. Peters kind of said that today, that he had already decided 
He already decided before he even talked to Bielema, and then after talking to Bielema, it sounded like Bielema and the staff wanted him on this roster. Okay, great. If that is the case, then Bielema must feel pretty comfortable with Brandon Peters under center, and I guess you trust the new coach to finally figure it out and help Brandon put it all together. But it just seems to muddy the waters when I kind of, as a fan, wanted to just move on and be done with that because no, this is unfair probably to Brandon, but it is hard to sort of untie him from the Lubby Smith, Rod Smith era. That was the guy that was going to help change the fortunes for Lovey as a head coach and for this program under Lovey, and it didn't work. It was kind of symbolic of just how ramshackle everything was with Lovey Smith. These moments where things look really good, but all too often they looked just downright bad, and that's kind of what Brandon Peters has been. I wish him well. I hope he succeeds. I want to win seven games next year. Wouldn't that be amazing? Seven and five. You got a really nice way to start the year. And you have enough veterans where I think that maybe you can rattle off a four and two start and give yourself a puncher's chance for a bowl game. That is possible, right? Uh, And Brandon Peters may be the guy that helps lead you to that. I just hope that Isaiah Williams has an impact on next year's team. And who knows? Maybe you finally decide you're going to try him out at wide receiver a little bit. But, you know, until you get a proven commodity at quarterback, a guy that you can say, this is our four-year starter, I don't want to give up on Isaiah Williams yet. Because we've seen enough to indicate that, you know what, he makes things happen. And it might be unorthodox, and it might be kind of chaotic, but it's kind of fun to watch. And I think the offense, the offensive guys around him, they feel the same way. Okay, offensive coordinator Tony Peterson, someone that we're going to learn more about, but he is kind of a football lifer. Now, two years ago, apparently, he was under Derek Dooley at Missouri as an offensive assistant. He gets the offensive coordinating job at App State last year. Great running game. Passing game was about 107th in the nation, but they just came off the bus running, to borrow Levy Smith's term. And I think that's what next year's team could do, regardless of who the quarterback is. You've got an offensive line and running backs you feel good about. And that alone, just think about this. How many times Illinois has lost a game, well, in your lifetime, because they shot themselves in the foot? So if we go with the Bielema model, the Wisconsin-Iowa model of just running the ball, not turning it over, playing solid defense, which, of course, that's a big question mark for next year's team, then, okay, you might have something here. As long as you don't get in your own way, in the Big Ten West, you can find your way to six wins a year based on a weak non-conference and just scratching out three Big Ten wins. I'd be happy with that next year. We'd take it. And it is doable. And I think that maybe Tony Peterson is a good hire for where you're at right now. I don't know if he's going to wow us. And I'm trying to think of coordinators that have had those moments. I know Paul Petrino, because of how bad the Mike Schultz thing was, it felt night and day like, wow, Paul Petrino, this guy's a star, a rising star in the coaching ranks. Then he gets the job at Idaho, and then that all tails off. Other offensive guys, I mean, Ron Turner, of course, had a few good years as head coach slash play caller. And then Mike Loxley, too, brought a spark to that offense, especially when Juice Williams and Richard got going. It felt like that offense could put up 30-plus points a game, and in that Rose Bowl season, they often did. I'll throw Cubit in there, his first year specifically, 2013, and how good Nathan Shieldhouse was in that offense. So you see these sparks, and maybe you get that immediate spark with Peterson, but I also feel like there is a flexibility to what he does based on his track record. And they, this may be the most important part of Tony Peterson as a play caller. You have a roster next year that is probably not going to be very similar to your roster in 2022. There is going to be upheaval. There's going to be seniors leaving. There's going to be new guys coming in, whether it be the transfer portal or four-year high school recruits, where the system itself may have to change based on the talent that you have. 
Things are not built enough. There's not a foundation yet to say that each and every year we're going to do this and we're going to do it well. So when I look at Tony Peterson and see that he has had successful running offenses and successful passing offenses, that he's got just as many stud running backs under his belt as he does stud quarterbacks, I think, well, okay, as this personnel changes, he can adapt. And in college football, I think that's necessary anyways. Lovey Smith was always slow to do that. But as a play caller on a roster that is going to be ever-changing, I think it's all the more essential that a guy like Tony Peterson can be adaptable to the guys that he has on that side of the ball. So for this year, I'm excited because he's got the track record as a running play caller, including this last season at Appalachian State, which is a pretty good college football program. Maybe better than Illinois, right? But with the guys that he has, get off the bus running, to use that cliche one final time. And then as you go through these next few years and you maybe finally get the quarterback that Brett Bielema wants, do you turn into more of a spread it out, pass it all around the field, sort of Purdue offense mixed with the run? Do you maintain the sort of Iowa-Wisconsin template where you have a pro-style quarterback, but you run it more often than you pass it? Whatever it may be, I think that Tony Peterson will be serviceable. And you know what? I'll take it because while Rod Smith had these moments that were kind of tantalizing, especially his first year, as coordinators so often do, their first year always seems to be their best, at least at Illinois, it was way too inconsistent. You couldn't count on it. And because the defense also couldn't count on the offense to do anything, then they resorted to turnovers or bust, and then that is just not sustainable. That's why Lovey's not here, or at least part of the reason that Lovey's whole system didn't work here. Because you didn't have even the Ron Turner Bears offense that kind of worked with Lovey in his first few seasons with the Bears. That kind of worked because Ron Turner's offenses, they moved the chains, time of possession, which is something that Tony Peterson and Brett Bielema both really highlighted when talking about why this hire was made. I love that because time of possession was a disaster the last three years. I'm, I'm starting to see this kind of old school football methodology of we're going to run it well. We're going to have the ball for well over 30 minutes a game. We're going to keep our defense fresh and thinking, okay, in the Big Ten West, that plays. That plays. And knowing that you have enough older guys on this team, and I think you have enough size and athleticism where you shouldn't be physically dominated next year. It really may just come down to, can you execute to a level that will get you to five or six wins? Will the execution be there? And then that all goes back to the coaching. Are they competent? I think these guys are competent. Next guy was this Barton Miller, offensive line coach. He was at Wyoming last year, successful year there. He was with Brett Bielema at Wisconsin back in the day. That's all I need to know. I know that we would like to think again that we got these star, you know, rising star coordinators or position coaches, but at the end of the day, stability, I think, works for what Brett Bielema wants to do, and he knows Bart Miller, and I know as a fan what it's like to watch Wisconsin football, and that Bart Miller knows how that works, and even if it doesn't work to the degree that it does at Wisconsin, down here at Illinois, it doesn't need to for us to still be happy as a fan base. Serviceable, competent. I'm not saying even the words good, excellent. I'm not even going to go there until I see Brett Bielma get a few years under his belt and really kind of get an idea how this thing may work. For now, I'm just using the words competent, serviceable, decent, not embarrassing. And it feels like these two hires, they don't move you any closer to dumpster fire. And towards the tail end of the levy era, it felt like each new position coach hire, Miles Smith, nepotism, you thought, oh my God, what is going on over there? I don't get that sense with this. I would love, and I think we all would, a defensive coordinator hire, which makes you say, whoa. 
And that is still TBD, though you see that this is moving along fairly quickly. I know that Bielema said in early January he wanted this thing shored up. Here we are, December 29th, and he's getting there. And he had two essential hires taken care of first with OC and offensive line coach. But maybe we do get that splash hire. Or maybe for a, po- a position coach. Jay Lehman, of course, threw his name out there for linebackers coach for Lovey. And Lovey's like, no, I got it. I got a guy. My son, whatever. But what if Jay Lehman actually wanted to do that? That'd be a great choice. I think there might be still an Illini connection or two that is hired as a position coach. That would be exciting. I do think that the Nathan Shieldhouse thing, and that might might have been a pipe dream anyway, but the idea that Nathan's going to come here and be the OC coach in waiting, I know that wasn't getting thrown around much after Bielema got hired, but I don't anticipate Nathan Shieldhouse to make a lateral move and say, I'm going to go from Iowa State wide receivers coach, I believe, over to Illinois to be their wide receivers coach, unless it came with a significant pay increase. And maybe it would. Maybe it would, because you do have an increased salary pool, and I think it'd be fine to make Nathan your highest paid position coach because of the recruiting that he would do, whether it's wide receivers or running backs, it doesn't really matter. He would be excellent in either of those roles, and as your recruiting coordinator, too. That would interest me. So we'll see if there's some surprises along the way or a big splash hire at defensive coordinator that makes you think, whoa, this is where the salary pool is really going. But for now, we'll take it. Of course, you can't really judge until you see it because God knows I was super pumped about Garrick McGee and Hardy Nickerson. So excited. And we remember how that went. Not well at all. And we, <laughs> we should have known like right away, four or five games into that first year, that this isn't good. And then Garrick McGee, the way he talked to the media, and Hardy seemed like a nice guy, but he didn't do much, apparently. I mean, that goes for the whole Levy experience. But Yeah, I've been excited about coordinators before, only to be very, very wrong. I remember Mike Schultz from TCU. And TCU at that point, they were rolling. And I thought, well, amazing. I mean, that's a great program down there. Usually really good offenses. Little did I know that he was going to try to turn Juice Williams into a West Coast offense quarterback with all these little dink and dunk throws, which was Juice's weakness. Boy, 2009 was an awful year. So we don't know until we see it, but there's nothing alarming in Tony Peterson's track record, which would suggest that he won't be able to put out a good running offense next year. And I think if you start with that, regardless of the quarterback situation and regardless of how bad the defense may be, which they might be very bad, I'm thinking, okay, that's a starting point to maybe find your way to five, maybe six ones based on that schedule. And I would love for the first year under Brett Bielema to be something like that instead of two and 10, three and nine, which we're all too familiar with in year ones. All right, so that's the I football talk for the day. And God knows by the time we get this out, there'll be another position coach hire. There'll be someone else saying that I'm coming back. But for now, that's what we know with Illinois football. I'm excited, though, to bring on Sean Harrington, who, again, we go way back to 93.5. I think 2012, 2013, we started having him on the show regularly. He is one of my favorite people to talk about with basketball, super knowledgeable. And, of course, I got to pick his brain about a few old Illini basketball nuggets, including Bill Self and his inbounds plays. There was a really cool tweet that Sean had a couple weeks back about one of my most memorable games as an Illini fan. So we're going to get into all of that with Sean Harrington in the midst of this Big Ten basketball season. Illinois in a nice position. Can they win a Big Ten title? Who does this Illini team remind Sean of the most? Maybe one of the teams that he was on. All that good stuff. Sean, I was watching that Wisconsin game last night against Maryland, and the entire last week since Illinois won these two games against Penn State and Indiana, I've been doing the plus-minus system of yours, which is foolproof. Now, 
I, I kind of explained it in the introduction segment here, but give us, uh, give the layman an explanation of this formula and who originated it. Yeah, I, I don't know exactly who originated it, but I was introduced to it by Bill Self when I was a player back at Illinois. So probably around 2000, 2001, somewhere in there. So I'm going on about 20 years of using it. Uh, I will give him credit for me knowing it. I don't know exactly who he got it from. Uh, but it's just a fun formula. It's a fun thing to kind of take a look at. Obviously, throughout the year, you're going to have a little bit of an unbalanced schedule. You might open up with four out of five on the road, or you might open up with four out of six on the road. So very simply is, if you want to win a Big Ten title, you have to defend your home court. And, and it's as simple as that. So you have to win your home games. You have to steal games on the road, and that's what it comes down to. So the plus-minus system, real simple math, just a way to figure it out. You're supposed to win at home. So if you win at home, you get zero points. Nothing happens. You're just doing exactly what you're supposed to do. So you're also supposed to lose on the road. So if you lose on the road, it's zero. Nothing happens. So very simple. Home win, nothing. Road loss, nothing. Where you get points and lose points is if you lose at home, it's minus one. If you win on the road, it's plus one. So it's just very simple that way to kind of figure out where are you in the standings. And uh, I just kind of found out over the years, if you can get the plus four or five, there is a very good chance you're going to win a Big Ten championship. If you have a zero or above, more than likely in the Big Ten, you are going to get an NCAA bid. So obviously that fluctuates from year to year, but just a fun way to look at it. You just mentioned Wisconsin. So you take a look at it. They both, Illinois and Wisconsin, both have a loss in conference play. So technically, you just look at the standings. You should be tied, right? You both have one loss in the one uh, one loss in the column, uh, but Wisconsin lost at home. So they with their road win at Michigan State, but then their home loss, they go back to zero. Illinois has a loss, but it's at Rutgers. So you don't lose points, but they have a road win at Penn State, so they're plus one. So just taking those two teams right there, if the season ends today, Illinois is ahead of Wisconsin in standings because they should win out at home. Wisconsin should win out at home. Both teams should lose out on the road. Illinois would finish the end of the year ahead of Wisconsin if you just kind of look at it in those terms. Yeah, and right now I think the way it stands, with the, with that formula in mind, Wisconsin was a plus one going into yesterday. They lose. By the time some people listen to this, we got another couple Big Ten games tonight, like Northwestern at Iowa, which all of a sudden that's a big game. But Northwestern, they're plus one in the system. Rutgers, they're plus one despite losing at Ohio State. And I think Michigan might be the other plus one because they won at Nebraska. Yeah. As you look at that collection, and I, I, we aren't going to discount Iowa and Wisconsin because even though they're at zero right now, we know how good they are. But as you look at, let's say, those six teams, Illinois, Iowa, Wisconsin, Rutgers, Northwestern, and Michigan, how do you see Illinois in that mix? And whether that be right now or how you project it going forward. Yeah, I mean, obviously, they're right there in the mix. And you're, you're talking about those, those top teams we're going to see fluctuation throughout this year like you've probably never seen before. Just with, obviously, the conditions, no fans in stadiums, games are going to get canceled potentially, you're preparing. So there's a, there's a lot of factors that kind of go into play this year. But if I'm looking at it right now uh, and going into last night, and I still feel confident about this, but Wisconsin is the team right now that I just feel like because of all the things we talked about, I need a team that's going to be steady. I need a team that's going to be consistent. I need a team that's going to be senior driven. You know, just guys that have been through the wars, that have been through those types of tough battles, that have experienced maybe winning a Big Ten championship or being there towards the end. 
Uh, so Wisconsin really sticks out in my mind uh, as a team that I would call them maybe the front runner, even at this point with that loss last night. Uh, after that, Illinois is right there. Rutgers is right there. Iowa is right there. And if you look at those three teams, uh, Michigan State could come back at the end, but obviously really struggling right now. They got some issues. Probably leadership is the biggest thing. Uh, Cassius Winston was a star statistically, but you don't realize what he did as a leader on that team as well. Uh, but talking about Rutgers, Illinois, Iowa, Iowa scares me a little bit with their defense. If you're going to go through a grind of a Big Ten season, you're going to have to lock people down at some point and get stops when it really matters. So can they win big games when they need stops and they need consecutive stops to end the ball game in some of these big games that are going to come up? I just don't know if I trust that yet from Iowa. Rutgers is a team that I really do like, and they're the team that are they there yet, right? This is the year that we've seen them kind of take that leap. They belong in the top 25. They're probably a top 15, top 20 team, but I need to see it over these next couple of weeks a little bit more. Love Coach Peichel's done a terrific job. Now he has the talent to go with what I've seen with some of that preparation that I saw his team personally do, uh, calling some of their games back in the day when, honestly, they were very bad. Yeah. But he got them to be competitive. He got them to play hard. He got them to be in games. Now he's got some of the players. But I want to see, are they here for real? Let's see this over. We just talked about the grind of a Big Ten season. Can they stay there at the top? And then Illinois has got all the pieces. And, and, you know, last year was kind of their year where I think Rutgers is now. You know, Illinois was kind of making that breakthrough. and said, is Illinois for real this year? Or are they just going to kind of fade at some point throughout the season? So I kind of see Rutgers a year behind Illinois. And Illinois just a notch above Rutgers right now. I know they lost at Rutgers, but again, on the road, home team's supposed to win. Uh, but right now, I'd put Illinois a little bit ahead of Rutgers, even though they lost that head-to-head battle. I thought it was you know, a very good game uh, at, at Rutgers. Yeah, as I, after that Rutgers game, I, I sort of paused my Big Ten title talk, and then they beat Penn State and Indiana, and I'm, I'm right back in it. Of course, but I'm also thinking, okay, what might play into this Illinois team's hands here is the fact that their schedule is favorable. So they are done with Rutgers. They have one against Michigan State at Michigan State, but right now that doesn't look quite as daunting as it did maybe a few weeks ago. Iowa at home. They do have a couple against Wisconsin, one against Michigan, uh, but overall favorable schedule. And I was thinking, you know, you mentioned last year how Rutgers this year is kind of like Illinois last year. And Illinois was so tantalizingly close, but they couldn't hold hold serve at home. This next six-game stretch is pretty winnable for Illinois. So do you look at this as an opportunity for a team to kind of figure out uh, the issues that plague them? In the case of Illinois, maybe turnovers, uh, maybe not getting Adam Miller and Trent Frazier consistent on offense. These six games leading up to what is a blitz of really tough games at the end of January. Can a team figure it out in that stretch of time before the gauntlet? Yeah, absolutely. And you have to take advantage of it. I think that's kind of the biggest thing. Every team is going to go through a four or five game stretch where they're going against four out of five ranked teams, five out of six ranked teams. That's just, it's going to happen now in the Big Ten. And every team, obviously, is a difficult game. But if you've got a stretch here where you're not playing any ranked teams, or maybe one out of five or six here is going to be a ranked team. You don't have to win them all, but you better win four or five of those six. Or, you know, it really kind of make a stand here to maybe try to get some of that separation for when another team is going to go through that gauntlet. And, um, you know, that's where the plus minus is fun. You, you just can't lose at home, right? You, you just can't lose at home. You have to defend home. And if you're playing unranked teams on the road, 
that's your chance to steal some of these points. So if you do drop at Michigan State, if you do drop at Wisconsin, it doesn't hurt you. You've already built in some of those wins uh, going into those games. But, uh, you know, I look at it, I, Illinois is playing well. They, you know, they, they, they obviously take care of some of the turnovers. Uh, you know, some of that is some, some younger, you know, just going through some mistakes and playing through some of that. Um, you know, defensively, maybe getting a little bit more locked in at times, but they want to play fast too. So when you want to play fast, you're going to have to have more possessions. Teams are going to score some points against you as well. But, um, you know, I would say right now depth is maybe a concern, which I don't think you can correct in a season. You know, it's just you are who you are moving forward. But you look at this roster, they play seven guys. You know, you really look at it, the, the core seven guys have to stay healthy. The core seven guys have to stay out of foul trouble. Uh, and if that's the case, I really like the way that this team's built this year. And they're built for the long run as long as those seven guys can stay healthy. Yeah, I look at Illinois as a team that probably has a higher ceiling than Wisconsin, but you use that term steady for Wisconsin. And that's why last night was it felt huge for a Maryland team that had been pretty shaky this year to go in there. And what I thought was most impressive about Maryland, I want to talk about a couple of the teams that are in the in the middle, kind of the mucky part of the Big Ten. A Maryland team that most of that game, they sort of out-physicaled Wisconsin. And that blew my mind, just seeing how Maryland, they were the aggressor. They had the energy the entire game. And I'm used to, at Kohl Center, fans or no, and I guess we'll see how that plays out this year, that, that that's near impossible to get a win or ever out-tough a Wisconsin team. Is that more of a case of Wisconsin just not being themselves last night? Or is this what a lot of people are saying is a Big Ten where even the teams that are in that 10, 11, 12 range are still pretty decent. Yeah, it's, it's a combination of both. And it is very deep this year. So that's what, you know, it's the cliche. There's no easy games. You know, you hear it all the time. There truly aren't. I mean, you just look at the Big Ten and, you know, Nebraska is going to struggle a little bit, but it's not an easy game. It's not an easy one, but they're going to struggle this year. Uh, Penn State, we'll see, you know, kind of where are they at. They were, they're capable of going and beating the team as well. Um, but, you know, those two teams are really kind of the outliers or maybe that could struggle a little bit. Everybody else, it's really fair game. And what I noticed in Wisconsin, you mentioned it's out tough. Uh, they out physical. They wanted it a little bit more than Wisconsin. And they beat them off the dribble all day in the second half. And Maryland lived in the lane. It seemed like any time they needed a basket, they would get the ball moving a little bit, and they would just put their head down and drive and beat. And it was multiple defenders. It wasn't one guy. They were picking on everybody. So it was Wisconsin a step slow last night where they just, you know, not locked into the scouting report, forcing guys left when they should have been forcing them right, uh, forcing them right when they should have been forcing them left. But I just noticed Maryland could get in the lane almost at will. And to be able to do that on the road, to be the more aggressive team, to get into the lane late in a game, especially basically all the second half, that was a red flag for me for Wisconsin. That's something that they're going to have to correct. They're going to have to get better as a team, uh, individual one-on-one defense, like I said, forcing the guy a certain way, or help side needs to be a lot better and a lot more alert than it was. Otherwise, that's a, that's a situation that w- could come back to haunt Wisconsin late in ball games. They were either getting to the hole or they were getting fouled. That's Maryland. They were getting to the hole or getting fouled late in that game. I'm watching that, and I'm thinking, okay, Io, Andre, do that. Just do that over and over, and then you also have a guy like Kofi and even Georgie, who has been really efficient this year offensively, that can clean up down low if you need it. Another team in the Big Ten that 
I would have said is more down the 10 11 range, 10 or 11 range. Now maybe they're a player in the Big Ten is Minnesota, who just two weeks ago, when I was watching that game, Illinois started out sluggish and then just completely took over. All of a sudden, what I thought was just a you know a good win against a bad team, all of a sudden might be a good win against a pretty good team. And we knew that Marcus Carr was good, but the supporting cast is looking all right too. Is is this two game stretch for Minnesota? something to take seriously or are we looking at maybe they sprung a good upset against Iowa and they caught Michigan state just at the right time? Yeah. Again, the swings that we're going to see this year just uh, is going to be incredible. And again, I thought the same thing. I'm watching Minnesota at Illinois. This team's not very good, Yeah, you know, and I was trying to give Illinois credit. They played great, but I just thought Minnesota looked really bad. And it was just kind of like, where are they going to get anything done? Uh, and I thought they did something that you're going to have to do now in this Big Ten season, especially going back-to-back games against ranked opponents. They played Kofi straight up in the post, never sent to the double team, and he absolutely killed them. I mean, that, it's a career night for Kofi, dominates that game. It gets everybody else going, but you feed off Kofi. They play the next game against Iowa. Now it's at home. You should have a little bit more energy, right, a little bit more excitement. But they doubled Garza. They doubled Garza hard. They rotated out of those doubles to not let shooters get shots. I was really impressed with that adjustment. And it was, you know, when you look at Kofi and you look at Garza, very, very similar down the post. Obviously, Garza can step out and shoot threes. But when they're down on the blocks, that's a similar player, and they treated them completely different. And that's a quick turnaround from Illinois to then go into that Iowa game. But they changed their philosophy. They went and they doubled. They trapped. They trapped hard. They played with energy. Uh, so I thought a really good adjustment from them defensively. That gets them into the game where now they dominate that first half, have a lead going into the half, feel good about themselves, and then they pull one out at home. They make some big shots down the stretch um, to win a ball game. And now that momentum carries over into that Michigan State game. And they catch a Michigan State team that I implored came out as flat as they did. A Tom Izzo team that loses two in a row. You know the football pads were on in practice all week. You know they were getting after them. And then for them to come out like that, I was shocked. But give Minnesota credit. They punched them in the mouth early. Michigan State didn't have a counter to come back. You win two in a row. Minnesota looks like now, are they a contender to kind of stay up there in the top, you know, third of the league? Uh, and based on the first, the last two games, I have to say yes. Yeah, it's puzzling because Michigan State at the end of November, early December, they had the big one at Duke, and Illinois did the same thing, so maybe Duke's not all that great this year, hard to say, but it felt like Michigan State was better than a lot of people had thought they were, and they were already a top 15 team, and now they they look to be maybe a bubble team. As you said, though, all these ebbs and flows, the, the thing that's going to interest me the most this year is the home-road split, and... Without fans as part of the equation, I remember last year how that Illinois team, they went into opposing venues, and often they seemed to play even better away from home than they did at the State Farm Center. Maybe there was less pressure. I don't know. But I, I like the idea of this Illinois roster being able to just go onto any court and just play ball without any external variables. How much of a factor will this play? Because you recall, of course, playing at a, a packed assembly hall, and I know that it probably helped propel you guys to some big wins, um, but take them out of the equation. Would much have changed in terms of the home road splits when you would have been playing? Yeah, no, I, I think obviously, I mean, home court's a huge advantage. And, you know, and something that I'm really proud of is obviously I was on a team that went 51 and two, you know, in our four years at home. And 
we got to credit our fans. It's sold out every single night that I'm playing, you know, at the assembly hall. And, um, you know, our fans were terrific. They gave us energy. We fed off of them. Uh, you know, we felt like we couldn't be beat at home. You know, we, we really did. We just like every time we were going into it, obviously you go on the road, um, you know, it's difficult to go on the road and very fortunate to be able to play on three big 10 championship teams. So we had a target on our back. So when we went on the road, it's a packed house. You know, teams, it was one of the biggest games of the year uh, for those teams to play us, and that made it difficult. Uh, it also made it a lot of fun, you know, just to go on the road. There was nothing better than getting a road victory and hearing that silence from the opposing crowd and, you know, walking off of a court with a win. So it's a lot of fun. And, um, you know, would we not have been as dominant at home? I think that. I want to believe that we would have won all those games anyway, being at home. And I want to believe that we would have went and stole a few more games on the road. You know, that, that's sure. my opinion. Um, obviously these are different times, but with the crowd not being as big of a factor, the better team should win more often because the really, the home crowd really does, you know, the teams feed off of that. So I would imagine uh, that the better teams could go and steal maybe some more road wins um, but obviously they don't have the advantage at home quite like they normally would as well. So uh, maybe they drop one at home instead of going undefeated in conference play. And then they got to go steal two on the road that you normally wouldn't get because you got to make up for that one loss. But uh, you know, no one has an advantage or disadvantage because everybody's playing under the same terms, but really weird for these players to go out night in and night out to not play in front of fans, and especially for a junior or senior when that's what they're used to, you know, two, three years ago and, and what they were doing for all those years, you know, it's very, very difficult, I think, for players to sometimes get up for some of these games when it quite honestly feels like an exhibition or a practice at times. You mentioned 51-2. and two. I remember there was the Michigan State loss on Super Bowl Sunday. That was a bad one. That, that stung. But the, the other one is escaping me. Do you recall the other one? It's uh, Brian Cardinal and Purdue. My oh freshman. my God! Never beat Brian Cardinal. Nine and zero. So he was nine and zero. The end of the Purdue streak. We finally got him <sighs> after that game. But um, yeah, so that was uh, my freshman year. We lost okay. to home to Purdue, and then that was my junior year. We lost to home to Michigan State. I, I was thinking about this team and how they entered the season. They're ranked in the top ten. They get as high as five, and then they suffer three losses in December. And in some of those losses, they didn't look all that great. I mean, the Rutgers game was a mess, as good as Rutgers is. The Missouri game, there wasn't a lot of intensity on Illinois' part, and that was disappointing. Baylor's Baylor, whatever. Um, but I, I was actually thinking back to what would have been your junior year. And that team brought back a lot of guys minus Marcus and Serge. And it was really in the eyes of the fan base and the national media. It was Final Four or bust. We got Frank, we got Corey, we got everybody else coming back. Brian Cook and, and Sean are a year older and Demir, Lucas. You guys still won a Big Ten title. You went to a Sweet 16. That was still a top 15 level team nationally. I, I, I was starting to think of this team in similar lines to that, where perhaps the expectations were too lofty early. And I know I was guilty of that too. But that doesn't mean they still aren't very good. Is that an apt comparison? Do you see any, any ties between this team and perhaps your junior year? Yeah, a little bit. And I think the biggest thing with that team my junior year is we did lose Serge and Griff. And those are two huge pieces to the puzzle that, you know, didn't come back the next year. Uh, the, the others were Lucas Torres ACL. So he didn't play until towards the end of the season. Uh, Robert Archibald 
barely even practiced that year because of how bad his back was wow. uh, going through that season. So we actually had some things kind of behind the scenes that probably people didn't realize as much as, um, you know, was let on. I remember Frank almost broke his wrist in a game, kind of fell on it and was nursing a sore wrist for the back half of the season. So they're not excuses, but those are the things that go on that people don't really realize. And, you know, I mentioned Serge and Griff because now everyone's got a new role, right? So the year before, Archibald came off the bench, Demir came off the bench, Lucas came off the bench, I came off the bench. We all had a role that we were used to playing. If one of those four guys that I just mentioned had a great game, it was a bonus for Illinois. We weren't expecting big things out of any one of those guys. The next season, I started a, a decent amount of games. Archibald starting almost every game. Now, these players have to come out and – perform every single night. Otherwise the team drops a little bit, right? So you have to raise your expectations. So the new roles play the factor in that. And then just the chemistry, just it's different lineups, it's different rotations. You got to get used to playing with certain guys. Uh, so that was probably the biggest change. And I think that's where this team, the, the current team that we're talking about right now in 2020 is dealing with the expectations and now you have to add a couple of these new freshmen in, right? You got a lot of guys back, but now you're asking for Cabello. You're asking for Miller. You're asking for a couple of these guys to play big roles on a team. And so that means somebody else might have to lessen their role a little bit or change their role slightly. Uh, so adjusting to that a little bit takes a little bit of time. Um, and obviously, anytime you start talking Final Four for a team that obviously they would have made the tournament last year, but – how would they have done? We don't know, right? So that's the thing is you're asking the team to go to a Final Four that hasn't been to the NCAA tournament in a long right. <laughs> time. So that's a big jump. That's a lofty expectation that you're asking a team to make. I understand they got cheated out of an NCAA tournament. Could they have made an Elite Eight? Very likely they might have last year, but we don't know. So you're asking a team that has no NCAA experience on the roster to now all of a sudden make a Final Four this year. And that's a difficult ask. That's a tough ask. Obviously, us as fans, we want to see it. We expect it. You know, that's where they should be. Um, but realistically, you know, get to the tournament, win a Big Ten championship. That's a realistic goal. You're going to get into the NCAA tournament. And now let's see what they can do. You know, let, let's enjoy the ride. It's going to be an exciting year. Um, but I think to put a you know, final four on them, like we just mentioned, that didn't make the NCAA tournament, no NCAA playing experience on that roster yeah. currently right now. Yeah, that's that's a good point. It's so easy to kind of swept up in it. Uh, two two quick ones for you before I let you go, Sean. Um, one would be how Io in his season so far. We're we're talking potential national player of the year. He's averaging about twenty five points a game, seven rebounds, six assists, and he's taking over games almost every night. And it doesn't feel like hero ball. He's he's playing within the flow of the game and then just doing whatever it takes. And that's the kind of performance that can lead a team to a Big Ten title. What it reminds me of in trying to think of single seasons was Brian Cook's senior year, which I think in the history of Illini basketball, Brian Cook was one of the greats. He's got his jersey up in the rafters, deservedly so. But we kind of forget how dominant he could be that senior year. I go back to the Michigan game at home where I don't know if he scored 25 points in the second half, but it was just, he had the ball every possession. He always scored and led to a big win. Um, you were the other veteran on that team with a bunch of young dudes what are your memories of that year and, and how good Brian was and how really that team was unexpectedly very good? Yeah, and I, I was so fortunate to play on four really good teams. 
But that season was a lot of fun because there was no pressure on us. I remember there were a lot of people thinking like we weren't even going to be very good. You know, it's a rebuilding year. You got D Darren uh, James coming in as freshman Lutheran Roger had played some minutes, but were a little bit unproven. Um, and I just kind of remember even talking with the coaches going into that year you know, we have our little one-on-one meetings to kind of, what are you going to work on this year? What are you going to do and all that? I remember they were kind of asking, like, they asked me, what are your expectations of this team? You know, and I said, yeah, I think we're going to win a Big Ten title, you know? And then you're just like, really? And I'm like, yeah, we got Brian <laughs> Cook, you know what I mean? Like, you know, what else? And I really believed in the freshmen uh, coming in. I, I loved Luther and Roger. I knew they were going to contribute. Uh, but there were no expectations. And it was one of those, I'm like, I think we can win as many Big Ten games as we did last year. And it was just – like you mentioned, we had the horse to ride. We had Brian, and we knew he was going to show up night in, night out. You knew that you were going to get potentially 20 points out of him. You were going to get 10 boards out of him. You're talking about a stretch player that can get you an easy bucket on the post, step out and knock down the three. So it's difficult to um, you know, try to plan and prepare if you're an opposing team for something like that. But it made all of us relax. We just knew Cook's going to be there. He's going to be solid. We believed in our defense that was going to be solid. Um, so when you have a player like that and Brian Cook, everybody else just relaxes, enjoys the ride, knows that, hey, I'm going to have a big game here. I might not have one tomorrow, but I know Cook's going to be there. And that's that's Io right now, right? That's exactly what this team is. He's going to be there every single night. You know, he's going to get you 24, it seems like. He's going to carry. He's going to make the big shots. Everybody else can just relax and play. And Obviously, Kofi's been terrific. You know, they you got two horses on this team right now that you can ride and they can be there consistently night in and night out. Everybody else just plays right into their role. And, and that's a fun situation to be a part of. And, you know, that was my senior year with Cook, but I got to experience it with Frank Williams as well. So, you know, I, I got to play with two guys that were just absolute studs that carried us night in and night out and let everybody else just relax and play into your role. Yeah, and then the the end of the regular season, losing at Wisconsin, which was one of the biggest heartbreakers, and then turn around, win the Big Ten turn Big Ten tournament title, still get a banner that you get to raise for what was a really good team that uh, I, I kind of gets lost in the shuffle of a crazy eight year stretch of Illini basketball. Um, last question for you, Sean. You had a great tweet a couple weeks ago where you broke down the inbounds play to Griff against Wisconsin. And I think it was a larger discussion about Bill Self and all the out-of-bounds plays and how good he is at drawing those things up. Um, and I, re- I was in the stadium for that. It was it was even louder than the Michigan State game the week before. I mean, that moment was maybe the loudest I've ever heard it in there. So you are tasked with inbounding the ball. And what are you looking for? Take us back to that play, because I know there were three or four options, and maybe Griff was the third or fourth, depending on who was open. Yeah. Yeah, I'll walk you through the play, but you just mentioned as loud as you've ever heard a stadium. Yeah. And I'll tell you what, that's one of the special moments that I'll never forget as a player. Because how many times are you a part of something where 16-5 all scream at the exact same time? Like, I've been in games where it's just loud the whole game, right? The crowd's into it. The energy's unbelievable. But when does 16-5 all just let out this burst of energy all at the exact same time? it was deafening. I mean, I've never heard a place that loud in my life at one moment. So that, that was really cool. And I just, I loved all the responses. I know you jumped on there, but for people to be a part of that, the experience that this is 20 years later, we all remember like it was yesterday. That's how powerful that two seconds actually was. Um, But yeah, just setting up the play, you know, Bill Self, terrific coach really gets, uh, you know, not enough credit for how he draws up uh, inbounds plays, but 
um, you know, we had Brian Cook, we had Corey Bradford, we sent them both out to the corners. So that was going to be the first look. We knew that their defenders were going to stay with them. So basically it spread out the floor and we had a two man game right in the middle of the floor then with Griff and Frank. Uh, so your initial look is right away. If those two defenders stay in the clog up the middle, we have cook or we have Corey for a wide open three. You take your chances with either one of those guys shooting Corey Bradford, one of the best shooters in Illinois history, Brian cook, you know, next year he's going to be big 10 player of the year. So you take your chances with that option. So the defenders did go out with them, just like we kind of hoped that they would. Opens up that two-man game inside. Frank absolutely destroyed Wisconsin in that second half. So we knew they were all thinking plays going to Frank. So they weren't going to help much off of him. So we had Frank set the diagonal screen on Griff, knowing that they were going to want to stay locked in on Frank to not let him get the game winner, which was what they're thinking. And that would give Griff just enough separation to kind of come off the top there for the lob. So Really, my options were look for the threes in the corner, defenders, if they didn't stay there. If not, we knew we had the two-man game. If for any reason they did leave Frank to help on that, I would just drop it down to Frank, and he would have had a layup, or he would have got fouled. And then they did stay with Frank, so it just left Griff wide open over the top. And, you know, he gets a, a great job of going up there, just getting it at its, at its apex and, and putting it in. And giving us all a moment we'll all never forget for the rest of our lives. Yeah, pandemonium. One of the best, and, and that's a long list because I've seen so many great moments there. Andy Kaufman's shot against Iowa. That that season in particular, it seemed like it was at a fever pitch in January and February, and as good as paint the whole orange was, that game against Wisconsin, that was a slog of a game where that was, I think, the Soderbergh era where it was like Dick Bennett, but even slower. So when you went down eight points to Wisconsin, it may as well have been 25. I was I think we were down, uh, you know, double digits at one point. And you said that might have been a 25, 30-point deficit. And, um, you know, that one goes down in history for Illinois players as the Judd game. Coach Judson absolutely laid into us at the half. And he said, we don't lose to Wisconsin. The jacket came off. And obviously we're expecting Bill Self to come in and just eat us alive, right, with the performance that we did in the first half. Bill Self comes in, he's nice and calm and he's quiet. And he's like, all right, fellas, let's regroup. You know, here's what we're going to do. And then Judd just comes storming in and just erupts and just <laughs> kind of starts laying into all of us. So uh, us as players talk about that all the time. And, you know, just one of those funny moments and uh, great halftime speeches that we were all a part of as well. Sean, awesome to catch up with you. Stay warm in Florida. Uh, I We all up here wish we were down there, but uh, maybe later on this Big Ten season we can catch up again as this race kind of takes shape, and hopefully whenever that may be, Illinois is right there in the thick of it like they are right now. Sounds good. I always jump, love to jump down with you. All right, thanks, Sean. Take care, man. Yeah. All right, Sean Harrington, great to uh, catch up with him here on the 200 level and talk about this Illini team, this Big Ten race, and then a little bit of remember when for you know, all the favorite Illini teams that I had. And 0405 is sort of a standalone thing because of how special that was. But it was really the self era, those three years where the team and the culture and everything that they embodied and the swagger that they had, that was as good as it gets. You know, it really was. And that Wisconsin game, he had tweeted out that a couple weeks ago, and it really took me back to that moment. And at that age, there were two games that year, Seton Hall, in Wisconsin, where both of those games, I remember just being so frustrated, thinking we're a top 10 team and we can't lose at home. 17 point or 21 point deficit, maybe to Seton Hall, you win in overtime. Wisconsin, I think he mentioned it was double digits at one point, but it might as well have been 20 plus points the way that Wisconsin played that slow Dick Bennett pace with Soderberg, the bald guy is their coach. 
And then he came back and won that game. That team was tough as nails. And I know they didn't get the Final Four banner, but to win a couple Big Ten titles, Sean's senior year, they win the Big Ten tournament title with Brian Cook. That was a run that, you know, the older you get, the more you realize, yes, Final Fours, that's that's the goal. National championships, that's the goal. But embrace those moments of conference titles, conference tournament titles, because they mean almost as much to me as the Final Four. I, I know that might sound ludicrous, but you you pile up a bunch of those like Sean and those guys did at their tenure at Illinois. Those are special tenures or, or special eras of Illinois basketball that I'm going to remember the rest of my life. So great catching up with Sean. And uh, this is going to be a crazy Big Ten season. And I hope that he's correct in that the Wisconsin loss to Maryland, that, that could be one that they could really look back on. And I have the same sense too. And he also brought up the fact that Wisconsin could not stop them off the dribble. And Maryland, I don't know how many dunks they had in the last 10 minutes of that game. It was a lot. And it really, I think, bodes well for this Illinois team and the way that Io and Corbello can get to the hole with Kofi and Georgie there to clean up if need be. I think it's a good matchup. And all you got to do is split. But maybe you can win both against Wisconsin and put that thing on ice. But I'm getting ahead of myself. I did this on Sunday. I'm talking Big Ten title when we're only four games into it. And I said they got to go 8-0 in this eight-game stretch. We got a game Saturday against Purdue at 5 o'clock. So we will do a second half podcast for that. I think I'll do one on New Year's Eve as well to wrap up this craziest of years. But uh, I do want to thank all of you again for listening to the podcast, supporting us, rating and reviewing us, dropping us feedback. Follow me on Twitter at Fanboy Carp. Drop us a line any way that you wish to do so. But thank you, thank you, thank you for making what was a pretty tumultuous year, a memorable one, and a, here's one for you, Ethan. I know you love this word, consequential year for the 200 level. I didn't bust that out for a few podcasts. Ethan had tweeted me and said, hey, you know, that was a great pod and you didn't even say consequential once. Well, here we go. Now we're back to it. Uh, before we go, quick reminder, the 200 level is brought to you by DP Doe online at dpdoe.com for all the best deals and prices and they deliver anywhere in Champaign-Urbana. Use coupon code MIKE for $5 calzones, $6 premium and construction zones at dpdoe.com. Also, State Farm agent Brian Hansen online at brianismyguy.com for life, auto, home, renters, business, you name it. Great State Farm prices and personalized service from Brian and his excellent staff at brianismyguy.com. And finally, 4th and Kirby online at 4th and Kirby.com. Use coupon code 200 level for 10% off your order. Great swag, t shirts, sweatshirts. Get your lucky shirt today at 4th and Kirby.com. For Lana Inquirer and the Champagne Showers Podcast Network, probably seeing a couple days here for New Year's Eve. Hope that the rest of your 2020 goes very smooth. (laughs) Let's just get through these next 72 hours. We'll wake up on Friday and it's 2021 and we can take a breath of fresh air, sigh of relief and realize, whoa, we made it. But thanks again for your support. Stay safe, stay healthy, and we'll talk to you soon. It is the 200 level.